Hello, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to a special bonus episode of my podcast on God Out Heart Wrestling featuring your truly Jamal Honus. And I want to take this time to, you know, say that with the whole Twitter spe- Twitter spear blowing up about last night's news about the release, well, I guess exit from the company WWE Cesaro, I really think WWE really directly failed on making Cesaro a big time star. And a big time star, and of course, I read the morning to the news about how Cesaro and the company that we cannot reach an agreement on a new contract to reinstate Cesaro back into the company. It's just sad, and I really think Cesaro probably could have been one of the biggest stars in the company of all time. He had the strength, the power, the charisma, everything that they needed to bring a star to make to make a star that we Cesaro was the full package. And it's just that we has failed to do so. I mean, Zaro could have been big. He could have been huge in WWE's history. You know, amazing. But sadly, WWE failed to do it on the show. So hopefully, just maybe, if AW was smart, I know Tony Khan is very smart, he will pick up on Zaro and hopefully try to sign him to the AEW roster. You know, that's just my opinion. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but that's just how I feel. But today, my bonus episode will be about the tremendous, the spectacle that is WrestleMania 15. And to me, I think it's one of my favorite matches of all time. I mean, we saw, you know, the you know the things leading up to WrestleMania for all the matches, etc. And it's been pretty cool. This will be the first meeting between The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event for the WWE Championship. I mean, hell, at The Rock at this age, eight, I think it was 20 years old at the time, and being how big he is now, he was pretty much the main, not pretty much, he was the main event star that was going to propel him to the future of the WWF. And for more so, you know, this would be really huge. Rhythm 15 would take place on March 28th, 1999 from the First Union Center, when it used to be called the First Union Center, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Where attendance record of 20,276 fans, not bad, you know, and with a buy rate of 800,000. You know, pretty good, almost a million dollar buy rate for WrestleMania, that's pretty close, you know. And the tagline was the Raging Climax. And I don't know, if you people were thinking about a raging climax, maybe it kind of would sound a little bit of a sexual innuendo, but, you know, that's actually a pretty good tag wearing for a pay-per-view event, and this would be no shortage of uh, surprises that would happen during this event. So, pretty cool, you know. I, I like the name, and I like the tagline, so it's pretty badass, you know, most of all. But nonetheless, we would get a, you know, a couple matches on the Sunday Night Heat before WrestleMania. We have a match where we saw Jacqueline with Terry Runners defeated Ivory with Dealer Brown in a minute and 23 seconds here. Of course, we know the situation with uh, Jacqueline and Terry Runners known as PMS, and I don't stress that those initials in any way, shape, or form for any of our women listeners that listen to my podcast. You know, PMS was their name. They created it. I don't know how it got to it, but, you know, it stands for Pretty Me Sisters. And I guess that's pretty appropriate what really PMS stands for in real life. But, you know, nonetheless, you know. And, of course, we know that Ivory was technically supposed to be the boo thing of Mark Henry's sexual chocolate. Of course, shortly after what happened at the same month as the Massacre with sexual chocolate getting injured with the um, guitar shot by Own Heart to the leg and injured Mark Henry, pinned him out of commission for the time being. So, of course, Ivory will be dealing with manager full-time. Not bad, to say the least here. And, yeah. Let's go to our next matchup. This will be a battle royal. Jeff Jarrett and Hart were the current tag team champions, but needed challenges to challenge later on in the show for WrestleMania. So we set up a tag team battle royal here, where the last 
this is kind of weird. I never heard this. The last two men remaining in that battle world would be the number contenders and former tag team to go after the tag team championships, whomever it may be. It could any be random person. You know, it's kind of it's kind of weird. We think about it, you know, but it's kind of interesting once you put it in perspective. I mean, we had uh, Rocco Rock. I don't know who that was. <laughs> Johnny Grudge, Viscera, Gilbert, Animal, Eight Ball, Skull. Hawk, Scott Taylor, Farouk, Tiger Ali Singh, Matt and Jeff Hardy, Midian, Brian Christopher, C. Blackman, and Bradshaw. And of course, with uh, the Godfather and Draws eliminating themselves, it would come down to Dila Brown and Tess, who would win the um, Battle Royal. But I guess they were too busy to notice as they were still fighting each other, even when the bell rang, not noticing that they were the winners of the Battle Royal in 4 minutes and 14 seconds. So, kind of weird. But, yep, as determined, they will be no contenders for the Tag Team Champions. So, yeah, I was gonna bring this up though. Not people, I don't know if people remember the Sunday Night Heat before WrestleMania, but of course when the Big Boss Man came out to do a segment talk about his Hell in a Cell match, which would be the first ever Hell in a Cell match for WrestleMania 15 against the Undertaker, who was seven in WrestleMania at that point. Which he would talk about a promo. Of course, the lights went out, but the Brood attacked him and left the Big Boss Man in a bloodbath outside the ring. You know, for from the Sunday Night Heat before WrestleMania here, so pretty crazy to. Stay that, and then we'll go off saying that heat and get the start of the main show, WrestleMania 15. You know, pretty cool with boys to men, you know, saying America's beautiful. But a lot of people, boys to men fans, I am a boys to men fan myself, so pretty cool to see that. And see that video package by Freddie, classy Freddie, um, classy Freddie Blassie there. And it's pretty cool to talk about the history of Mania behind Mania, the spectacle, the magnificence that's WrestleMania itself. Pretty cool to see that in the video package there. Get the pyrotechnics going off there. And our first match to open WrestleMania here will be a triple threat match for the Hardcore Championship between Hardcore Holly, Al Snow, and the defending champion Billy Gunn here. This is kind of weird, though. Technically, over two weeks ago, Billy Gunn and Road Dog, who are known as the English Outlaws, were champions. They weren't tag champions, but they were separate single champions before Billy Gunn was the Hardcore Champion. No, Billy Gunn was the Incarnate Champion, and uh, Road Dog was the Hardcore Champion. Nonetheless, they had a title, I think, what, title title match either the week before Raw or two weeks ago. But since they switched championship belts, I guess the company wanted them to go in a different direction. Technically, Raw was supposed to be in this match, and Billy Gunn was supposed to be in the four corners elimination matchup for the IC title here. Of course, Billy Gunn would, get, would be, be the hardcore champion, and I guess Raw would be the Incarnate champion in their careers. Just to switch championships, I guess. I guess that was probably the only time a title swap went successful here, as opposed to the recent. Uh, um, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, title exchange that we had last year in October on Friday Smackdown. But nonetheless, this WrestleMania 15 here. So the defending champion Billy Gunn against the challengers Al Snow and Hardcore Holly. And we know the history between Al Snow and Hardcore Holly going back to the same mountain and massacre that Hardcore match that led into the Mississippi River, which is probably one of the most famous Marco matches of all time there. And of course, to get into the matchup there, we see lots of Kendall sticks. We saw a couple of hockey sticks. You know, and we had that, that, that chant in the arena where we saw uh, Let's Go on Flyers, the Philadelphia Flyers that play in the same arena as the hockey team is well-renowned famous for, you know, becoming um, NHL champions at the time. So, of course, we get in the match there. We see tables. We see two tables. I think we saw a bucket full of Gatorade water that uh, Jerry Lawler mentioned that, hey, there goes our drinks, our beverages. So, yeah, <laughs> pretty funny to say the least there. And, of course, we we will see uh, Arsenal um, hit his move on Billy Gunn there. Well, no, Billy Gunn hit the famous sound on Al Snow there. But, of course, Hawkeye brings up with the chair. Hawkeye Holly gets the cover, one, two, three. 
and Hard Holly is now your two-time hardcore champion, leaving WrestleMania, leaving Philadelphia as the new hardcore champion that night in seven minutes and four seconds and six seconds. So, not too bad of a hardcore match. It could be a little better. I still prefer the whole Al Snow hardcore rivalry because I think their hardcore matches in my mind were most famous at that time. So, but not too bad to say the least here. Next up, we get a tag team time match up here. I guess I don't know what happened, but we all know that. Dealer Brown and Tess had a little, a little less than an hour to prepare for this matchup there. But I guess maybe all one injector went to high management and say, let's get this match going on now as the second match in the show here. Pretty cool to see, you know, Dealer Brown come out with Ivory first, then Tess. As they continue to argue, we get all one injector's entrance with company by Miss Deborah. Miss Deborah looking mighty fine in her silver, you know, silver bikini wear there with the uh, blazer, uh, gray blazer jacket, I guess. But not too bad, though. Most of all, this tag team match go back and forth here. It didn't last too long when we see uh, Deborah try to insert herself to the matchup there. Of course, get knocked down by Ivory. And we see PMS Jacqueline Terry come out here to confront Ivory after that. I guess helping Deborah in a way. That would be the huge distraction there. And that leads to cover by Jack Jarrett on D. LeBron for the cover while Tess is being distracted out there with the three women. And of course, they still to argue there. And, and let's just say that D. LeBron and Tess got into it again. And Owen Hart and Jeff are retained in 3 minutes and 58 seconds there in this matchup there. So, not too bad for most of all. And next up, we will get a Brawl for All. I know people stress how the Brawl for All tournament wasn't as good as it looked up to be. I, I, well, actually, after watching uh, an episode of uh, Dark Side of the Ring season, I think season 2, season 3, one of those ones. But we stressed about, I think a lot of the corporate, even Bruce Pritchard stressed how the Brawl for All was a tremendous disaster a lot of people got hurt and i believe it you know i i mean let's just say that certain wrestlers are not meant to be boxers i understand that you know we've all seen the matches they would last less than five minutes less than four minutes or a tko maybe in a minute or two into the into the brawl fall but the thing is the thing is i enjoyed it because it was a way to build the former uh smoking gun member you know bark gun but I think Bart needed that session to build himself up to be a big player here in the WWF. Of course, you know, he did it. He won. He won that same city in Philadelphia at the time, back in September of 98. He became the 1998 Brawl champion. That's cool. Now he's challenged by IBW heavyweight, cha- um, heavyweight champion Butterbean, who was known for being a champion everywhere he goes. He's a big-time boxer. You know, Butterbean is known for knocking out people in less than five minutes or even quicker than that. We know Butterbean is a champion. You know, this is a chance for Mark to prove himself that he can be an actual heavyweight boxer. Not a wrestler, a heavyweight boxer in Butterbean. And we get into the matchup there. Of course, we go into the one-minute round here. And, of course, this is pretty cool. This is pretty special to point out here. Vinny Panzeasa, who also is a former lightweight champion in his boxing career, will be, will be special guest referee for this matchup there. And it's pretty cool. He is known as the Pazmanian Devil. Not Tasmanian, but the Pazmanian Devil in this matchup there. So... It's pretty cool to see, you know, that, you know, him referencing this matchup there. Of course, it didn't last too long, you know. But, you know, of course, we get some quick shots in by Bark Gun there. And we see Butterbean, that first right hand to the jaw of Bark Gun, really rocked him. It really did. Of course, Ruffy had to check on um, Bark Gun to see if he's okay to continue this matchup. He gets back up. And you see that, bow, that right hand knocks out, that knocks out Bark Gun completely. Ruffy starts the matchup. It is over. Butterbean is your winner of the match in 35 seconds. <laughs> really short matchup here for WrestleMania. And I think that that was the last match of the Brawl for All. I, I don't think everybody remembered 
or brought it up ever again because it was so disastrous. It was so quick, and it, it was it wasn't that much needed. You know, in my mind, I, I didn't like it. <laughs> you know, it was too quick. I wish it lasted longer. But hell, you're fighting against Butterbean. What do you expect? Butterbean knocked out Mark Merrill back at uh, Any House DX 97. When well, Mark Merrill was leaving the ring there, you know, he gave him a little goodbye present. We all saw what happened that. And it's kind of like reminiscent to him knocking out Barkley at WrestleMania 15 in, in Philadelphia. So it's pretty, it's pretty mind-boggling, but it's no surprise. You know, I think we all knew heading into this match that Butterbean was going to go for TKO. And that's exactly what happened here for WrestleMania 15 in Philadelphia. Next match up here, we will get... Mankind against Paul White the Big Show. This will be Paul White the Big Show's WrestleMania debut here. His first match ever WrestleMania against Mankind. Mankind stated how he wanted to be in the main event. He beat the um, Undertaker numerous times. He had a match against Stone Cold Steve Austin for Boys on Raw. Questionable outcome, but yes, it will go in that um, record book that Mankind did defeat Stone Cold Steve Austin on um, technicality that night in Raw here. But of course, you know, Mankind has to find another way to get into the main event by becoming the special guest referee for the Rock Austin title match later on in the show here. But also against Sandy Goes to Big Show. To win in this matchup between Mankind and Big Show, whoever wins will be the guest referee for the title match later on tonight at WrestleMania. Of course, we get to the matchup here and pretty much dominated by Big Show in this matchup there. We see Mankind trying to apply Mr. Sako about three times here. And we see, you know, um, Mankind on top of Big Show's back, and Big Show just falling flat, pitting all 500 pounds of him on top of Mankind there. Of course, after all the after, we will see Big Show come in two steel chairs, step, step two steel chairs in the center of the ring here. Paul White going for the choke slam while Mankind nails it right in between the two steel chairs. Of course, referee Earl Hammond cannot control Big Show, calls for via disqualification, and awards some match to Mankind via disqualification in six, six minutes and 50 seconds here. But I think that wasn't the punchline. What happened after the match was pretty severe. With Mr. Man coming to the ring, telling him, you ruined this, you ruined the plan. Like, how could you ruin this? And, of course, we see Paul White was attempting to choke slam the boss, Mr. McMahon, in the middle of the ring. Of course, he puts him down because he knows he had hired him in the first place. And then shortly after, McMahon had to remind the Big Show that he made him. He brought him into the WWF there and that Big Show Paul White is a nobody. He stated that so many times he's Mr. Man. A slap across the race to Paul White. Paul White knocks off the boss. I think Jerry DeCanola called it his second knockout of, the, uh, knockout of the night. And it was pretty severe there. We see Paul White leaving that, saying to the crowd that nobody owns him. And, of course, we see Mankind make fall against Kadon Stretcher. And Mr. Man knocked out in the middle of the ring. Had to get helped up by his two stooges, Patterson and Briscoe. You know, we all know that their biggest askers is when it comes to Mr. Man. You know, that's... Duly noted, you know, so yeah, I guess. And as we go to the backstage area, Mr. Man tells his two students to get a cellular phone and call the cops. He wants that big SLB arrested and he wants to arrest him, wants him arrested right now. So it's kind of funny, you know, you send about maybe 20 cops to arrest a 500 pound giant big show. So it's, I think that was kind of hilarious at that point. Next up, we get to a fatal four way, or I guess. We call it the Four Corners Elimination Matchup for the WBF Intercontinental Champion, the Road Dog, Jesse James, defending against Goldust, Ken Shamrock, and Val Venus here. We all know how this started out. Ronnie Shamrock, who was dubbed Ken Shamrock's little sister, of course, being um, put into the WBF here, had betrayed her brother, went with Val Venus, now has aligned herself with Goldust, and so forth, so forth. I guess she's been passed around so many times between all, all these men, so it's kind of weird. We'll get to the matchup here. We see Raw Dog and Valvina start out. And, of course, the way that they had this match set up was two men in the ring at the same time, and the other two guys were on the ring aprons. And I guess if we get tagged into the matchup, 
they'll be in the match, but I don't know. It's practically a fatal in my eyes, so I don't know what Four Corners elimination match means, but I guess get eliminated and so forth and so forth here. And of course, we see Ken Shamrock apply the ankle lock on Bob Greenis. Both those guys will get counted out, and it will come down to the road dog, Jesse James, and Goldust here. And of course, we see Ryan Shamrock try to insert herself into the matchup, accidentally grabs Goldust's leg. Road dog counters for roll up and victory. Road dog is still your incarnate champion, 9 minutes and 47 seconds. And Ryan Shamrock gets dumped again. I guess Goldust and uh, the Blue Meanie, which I don't know what the hell Blue Meanie was there for, because he called Goldust Mommy. It's kind of weird, but yeah. Nonetheless, Ryan Shamrock gets dumped again, and Road Dog is still your incarnate champion here. So, yeah, pretty weird. And of course, we get the outside of the first Union Center in Philadelphia. We see Big Shaw getting loaded into a car. I swear to God, there was 15 police officers outside that building trying to get a 500-pound Big Shaw into that little tiny car, which wasn't a police car, but nonetheless, yeah. And we go to the back of the arena here. We get set up for the Triple H Kane matchup here. Kane's second WrestleMania appearance and Triple H's fourth WrestleMania appearance here at WrestleMania 15. As Kane makes his entrance, and right guy, I think this is kind of the most spotlight of the night. We see that same San Diego chicken that runs down to the ring, attacks Kane during his entrance. And we all thought it was another setup by Triple H because remember, last Monday Night Raw, six days prior to WrestleMania 15, we saw a match between Goldust and Kane where we thought it was Goldust, took it that flamethrower and lit Kane's, I guess, Ass on fire, I guess, but a flamethrower to Kane. Of course, that was disguised with Triple H, so we thought that Triple H was dressed in the San Diego, San Diego chicken costume. But nonetheless, when we Kane takes off the head of that costume, it was once again Pete Rose. Last year, everybody knows what happened last year at WrestleMania 14 in Boston when Pete Rose got two stung by Kane in the middle of the ring. I guess we're going to do the same thing again. Kane gets Pete Rose in the ring and gives him another tombstone power drive for the second year in a row at WrestleMania. I guess Pete Rose won't learn to not mess with the big red machine. And I think <laughs> we know what happened last year. I did a podcast last year about WrestleMania 16 where, again, Pete Rose were attack Kane from behind and again gets tombstone. So I know Pete Rose is one of the best baseball players of all time back in the days and an anti-Boston Red Sox fan, which I kind of hate, but... You know, happened. We know Pete Rose left Boston for Philadelphia and so forth. But three years in a row WrestleMania, Pete Rose, the baseball MLB Hall of Famer, gets two stones by King. Yeah, I think that's pretty funny. And Coach Triple H makes his entrance here. Attacks came from behind, and that's how we get started in this matchup here. Back and forth fashion, we see Triple H was so distraught about his manager, China, betraying him back after the vulnerable event. And aligns itself with Mr. Man's Corporation and it's just pretty severe. It really is. So now we're getting forward to match up here. We see China coming out in her outfit and then, of course, we see China at least about to assist Kane with that steel chair and China hits Kane with the steel chair right from behind and we're thinking, what the hell's going on? I thought China and Kane were together. I thought China was a part of the McMahon Corporation. I guess not, but Triple H nails Kane with the chair and then goes to pedigree. Of course, Kane wins this match via disqualification, 11 minutes, 33 seconds. And we see Triple H and China hug each other there back together. I guess they pulled the wool over their eyes that maybe Kane's with the corporation. Is China back with DX? I don't know what in the hell is going on here. It's pretty severe. But I know we know that it's Triple H and China back together again. And that's just pretty crazy. It really is. Next up here, we get to the WF Women's Championship matchup between Sable and newcomer Tory. Of course, we know Sable, who had won the Women's Champion from Jacqueline back at the 1980 Survivor Series. So, Jack Sable has been champion for about five months prior. But it's kind of weird, though. 
we know Sable is not really a wrestler wrestler. She was trained to be a wrestler. I think still in training by that time. But the thing is, I think Sable had only defended her championship two months prior. I think once at the Warren Bowl, I think once an episode of Monday Night Raw, but that's it. This tech will be Sable's third time defending the women's champion and defending at WrestleMania against this uh, quote-unquote stalker, Tori. And, of course, we get to the match here, and Sable's dominating most of the match up there. We see Tori trying to get her leverage into the match. Referee's knocked down. And we see these this uh, Amazon, this woman Amazon, I don't know, she's about 6'2", 6'3", comes down, and her name is Nicole Bass. We only seen her on the... Brian Stern show back in early 1999, she is a large Amazonian woman with muscles everywhere that you wouldn't think women, a big one like that would have any muscles, but that is Nicole Bass. Nicole Bass gives a smile to giant, to um, excuse me, Sable. Sable hits the Sable by Montari and gets a one, two, three in five minutes and six seconds. So it's kind of weird. I think at that time, Sable and this Amazonian woman, Nicole Bass, have formed a alliance, and I guess that will become Sable's new bodyguard, in a way, but nonetheless, Sable is still your woman's champion, and, yeah, I don't want to say about that, you know what I mean, what, my, my opinion is about Nicole Bass, she's a big woman, she's a freakish Amazonian, she, I don't know, with all that makeup, she sounds like a guy, but <laughs> either way, it's kind of weird, but yeah, nonetheless, that will be the end of that match. Next match up here, we see the first time ever, the, oh, no, actually, no, excuse me, the second time ever, the European Championship will be in the line of WrestleMania. This will be the WrestleMania debut of one Shane McMahon. We know Shane McMahon is the son of Mr. McMahon here. Of course, Shane McMahon will be defending the European Championship against fellow DX member X-Pac, one-on-one here. And this was a rivalry that developed about Shane's way of life, being the blue blood from Greenwich, Connecticut, you know, being raised with servants and born with a silver spoon in his mouth, of course, going against X-Pac's way of life, brought up in the streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it's pretty crazy here. The only thing you can say, I can say about this, it's kind of a mismatch since Shane Man had help from Kane in China to get the European Championship a couple weeks ago Monday at Raw in February of 99. And, of course, X-Pac wants, wants that European title back to at least put the uh, hurting on Shane McMahon. But don't forget, we we see the, the two guys, the Mean Street Posse, Shane McMahon's boys, quote-unquote boys, from our, our, our ringside here for WrestleMania. And, of course, Shane McMahon will be accompanied by fellow corporation member Test in this matchup here. Shane McMahon dominated most, dominated most of this matchup there. There's no surprise here. I mean, Shane McMahon's not really a wrestler. I think at this point, this was Shane McMahon's second official match in WWE at that time. Go up against the veteran S-Pac, you know? And this is where things took a turn for the worse. We saw what happened in the Kane-China match where China and Triple H were back together as part of DX, or so we thought, you know, how they pulled the wool over our eyes, the fans, the audience here. And, of course, the test tried to enter himself with the match. He gets knocked out by Triple H in China. And, of course, Triple H is trying to referee back into the ring here so S-Pac can win the European Championship. But, no, we see Triple H, here's the pedigree on S-Pac. Everybody's like, what the hell is going on here? I thought S-Pac Triple H were best of friends. They're, they're like brothers. They're... They made the new DS at the WrestleMania 14 last year, but I guess Triple H in China, it was a plan for them to screw S-Pac, keep the championship with Shane McMahon, and now Triple H just turned on DX, the leader. Triple H was the leader of D-Generation X, but he turned on them. Him in China has sold out for the money, the McMahon money, I guess, and now they're the newest members of the corporation. That means Kane will be out of the corporation for some whatever reason, and D-Generation X will be just New Age Outlaws, Road Dog. Billy Gunn and Spock, just the three of them, man. It's pretty, it's pretty quick. I, I didn't expect that to happen. That was actually pretty surprised. That was a shock. You know, Triple H in China helping Shane McMahon 
retain the European title in eight minutes and 41 seconds here. This is pretty severe. I did not expect that to happen at all. You know, I thought DX were tight in that. I guess Triple H, this is what, I think this is the way Triple H to get to the top of the mountain. I think Triple H knew that him being with DX, all the fun, the laughter, the pranks, the games they were playing, this is not the way Triple H wanted to be the rest of his career as a DX member. Triple H wanted to be on his own and get to the top. And I think by aligning himself with the McMahons, the corporation, this is the way that Triple H needed to get to the top. Even he had to stab his best friend in the back, WrestleMania. This was, it was a shocker. It was a big shocker, you know? Next up, we get the first ever Hell in a Cell match for WrestleMania between Undertaker. Undertaker is 7-0 at that time for WrestleMania. He is going up against the corporate highest security, the Big Boss Man. I don't know about you guys. I was a Big Boss Man fan. I, I love the Big Boss Man. Even in the early 90s, he was a uh, big-time babyface. He left the company in 92. He came back, was hired as a man to be part of his highest security for the corporation in late 98. I, I love the boss man. Boss man was a good trash talker. He was a good fighter. He carried that nice stick everywhere he goes, no matter who he beat the crap out of with that nice stick. And big boss man was like one of those guys that he was a he was a big time bad guy, but you you got it you gotta like it. You know, big boss man was all that. And of course, I'm a big Undertaker fan, so I was excited to see WrestleMania's first ever Hell in a Cell match take place in Philadelphia at that night. And of course, we see big boss man coming to the ring here. But let me give you the background story. This is kind of crazy how it all started. We knew that. Undertaker wanted, as part of storyline, to be in control of the WWF. Undertaker wanted to own the WWF. He would go out to McMahon, mix a man, shave a man. There was a phone call to the house that Undertaker was going to stalk Mr. Man's daughter, Stephanie, with his Ministry of Darkness. And I got to admit, Undertaker forming this group, the Ministry of Darkness, it was pretty damn scary. I've I seen things on television that I think I would not see in real life. Undertaker's cross, this symbol, that big Undertaker symbol being lit on fire on the McMahon's on front yard in the dark. That was that was some pretty cool stuff. I think that'd be really did a good job with this evil Undertaker look, this holy godness or the Lord of Darkness in this case. And it was just pretty incredible. The Undertaker with the seven superstars, this mind control thing and the sacrifices and hanging people on the symbol 20 feet above the arena. That was pretty cool. That was really badass. That was something I never thought I'd see before. And even his entrance, the Undertaker's entrance was in 15. He looked like a Lucifer-type character. When Undertaker came down to the ring there with their hair tied up in the ponytail and this really long black beard, like, it was it was pretty badass, you know? Of course, we see Undertaker Boxman back and forth in this Hell in Cell match here. Of course, the Undertaker gets the steel chair. There was one point where Big Boxman handcuffed the Undertaker to the cell and Big Boxman taking out a knife stick and going, going to the shots of the ribs with the Undertaker there. And it was just pretty, it was pretty badass. Of course, the Undertaker... Broke free from the handcuffs, hit the tombstone, power driving big boss man, gets the victory in nine minutes and forty six seconds here, and this is pretty, pretty crazy. What happened out there? I I don't recommend anybody were to see stuff like this back in the old days. Baron Taker took a noose that Edge Christian Gangrel had. I guess I don't know what the hell they were. Were they flying down to the to the top of that cell from the ceiling? I don't know what the hell. Or I guess they had cables strapped to their bodies, but they were lowered to the to the roof of that cell, they broke a hole in the middle of that cell and took a rope, a noose, that they brought down to the Undertaker. The Undertaker wrapped that noose around Big Boss Man's head. Paul Heyman is pushing the button, which will which will um take the cell all the way top of the arena. And you see Big Boss Man being hung. Big Boss Man being hung from the center of that cell as if he was being sacrificed again. And, you know, I, I kind of met if... Uh, if you're like maybe 1400, that's something you don't want to see a human being being hanged be, or being hung in a noose. 
in a middle of the wrestling ring in a also match. That's kind of scary. Thank God the <laughs> whoever turned off the lights and didn't show what happened after it was uh it was it's not a really good vivid picture you want to see at a, at the end of a wrestling match. This is pretty crazy, you know. And of course now they show um videos of the WrestleMania Rage Party that happened the night before and it was a tremendous success. You had a uh, uh Heavy D in there, yeah, Michael um, Isaac Hayes, a part of the WrestleMania Rage Party. Of course, you had the corporation. They had the Rock, Austin, Undertaker. Everybody was part of that WrestleMania Rage Party the night before WrestleMania there. It was pretty badass. As we get set for the main event here, of course, the announcer announced that Jim Ross would be commentating for this matchup here. And we haven't seen Jim Ross on commentary since October of 98. So due to heavy health issues where he made it known on his podcast at that, at that time, he was going through life difficulties and had to be taken off WWE TV for those few months there, so but it was right for Jim Ross and Jerry Kinlauer to call the Austin Rock made even matchup. It was only fitting. You know, you can't have wrestling without JR, you know, as people would say, you know? And of course, Mr. Man stated backstage, since Mick Foley is in the hospital, the big show was arrested. We need a referee for this matchup. Mr. Man said that he will be the referee for the Austin Rock match. Which is not good for Austin, because we know the Rock is the corporate champion, the corporate WWE champion, so I guess the Rock has a big advantage knowing that, you know, Mr. Man is the referee for the match here. And of see Mr. Man coming to the ring here. And out of nowhere, we we hear Shawn Michaels' music come out of nowhere. Shawn Michaels' role in this, Shawn Michaels was the commissioner. Shawn Michaels pretty much the boss of the WWE at the time. And as a commissioner, he can make his own rules no matter what. So this is pretty crazy. So Shawn Michaels had brought another referee, an official for the matchup here, and told Mr. Man about what he said back a couple months ago on January 4th in Worcester that the only reason that Sean could lose power is on himself. Mr. Man put the ironclad in his contract. Not even Mr. Man can fight Sean McCluck at that point. So Sean was pretty much in his own wealth. He told Mr. Man he will not be the referee for this matchup. Instead, he had referee Mike Kyoto, who will be the referee for this matchup here, and make sure this referee, this match is called right down the middle. And to sweeten things, now the Austin Rock championship match will now be no qualification. Which means anything can happen. Anything can happen. This matchup there. So, for, of course, we have the Rock with the championship coming out here, and of course, we got the Winged Eagle championship, by which I have, which is pretty cool. One of my favorite busts of all time. The Rock comes out here first, and we hear glass shatters, and we see Stone Cold Steve Austin come out next. The thing is, I heard rumors about the story. Stone Cold always comes out with the black vest, Austin three sixteen. Technically, it's kind of weird. Austin I came out with the shirt. And normally you don't see Austin come out in a regular t-shirt, but he did. You know, black trunks, black boots, all that. Of course, that's vintage Austin, but we saw Austin come out with a t-shirt. We know that Austin stated, I think, one of his DVDs uh, that came out in 2011, 2012, that that day in Philadelphia, he forgot his uh, signature vest at his house in Victoria, Texas, and decided to wear one of his uh, newly Austin t-shirts at the time. So, for anybody that's wondering why Austin come out in a signature vest, that's the reason why. And of course, get started the magic there. Right and left spot by both Austin and Rock there. Rock pissed Austin with top rope. These two battle outside into the crowd in Philadelphia, back into the ringside here. One of these signature um, things is match up there. We see both of them getting announced table, and we see the Rock bottom through to Austin through the Spanish announced table there. And of course, Rock talking trash on commentary, grabbing one of these microphones there. We see Austin get back up with a shot of a uh, little tiny fan. I guess if you want to call it that, two D had a rock. They get back to the ring there. Referee is knocked out, but mind you, Jerry Smallin had to remind the audience this is no qualification, no qualification that anything can happen in this matchup here. 
the thing is that we saw Rock come with the steel chair. Of course, Rock hits Austin with the steel chair, but numerous times there, hits another rock bottom. And of course, we get a new referee here. Um, Austin cuts out. The Rock gets mad, and Rock Rock bombs referee. Now we have two referees taken out. We don't know if there's any more officials that can official this matchup there, except for Mr. Man, who said he wanted to be the official for this matchup there. And of course, we see Mr. Man coming down to the ring here. And both Rock and McMahon are double-teaming Austin in the middle of the ring. We see Mick Foley. Mick Foley is supposed to be in a hospital somewhere in Philadelphia. Mick Foley came back to the arena. Mick Foley is getting shots in on McMahon, getting shots in the Rock there. We see the Rock going for a chair to hit Austin one more time. But no, Austin counts it into a Stone Cold Stunner and one more Stone Cold Stunner for good measure. And, of course, Mick Foley counts to one, two, three. Austin is now your new WWE champion. And I guess we had uh, referee Earl Hamlet to celebrate, of course, you know, the history between the Stone Cold Steve Austin and that be a official Earl Hamlet. They are good friends in my life. They are the best of friends, you know, of course, you know. So Austin will celebrate with a beer. And, of course, McMahon tried to get into it. No, Austin also on McMahon and gives McMahon a stunner to end the show here at WrestleMania. So pretty cool. I, I got to admit, like, WrestleMania 15 was one of those member of WrestleManias that you can never forget because it was the first meeting, the first in the ring meeting between the Rock and Austin that would culminate into three amazing wrestling matches, wrestling 15, 17, and 19. But nonetheless, it was, I thought it was a pretty overall good show. And, you know, I think this will be the last WrestleMania to be under three hours. I think WrestleMania 16 that started in 2000, because this was the last WrestleMania in the 90s, of course. But WrestleMania 16 that happened in the year 2000, so far, every WrestleMania will be almost four hours long. And now we have WrestleManias that are five hours long and so forth. Now we have WrestleManias that are one um two days you know prior to each other so it's pretty amazing how wrestling over here continues to evolve and spectacle and gives us those grandeur moments and it really is a showcase to the immortals to live forever and it's, it's really amazing you know overall wrestlemania 15 in my mind was probably one of the top 10 wrestlemanias that i can never forget and it was the first wrestlemania to be in philadelphia pennsylvania at that time but thank you guys for joining me on this bonus episode. I will try to have another one tomorrow morning. Maybe a different WrestleMania in this case. Or I could talk about something else. You know? But don't forget, WrestleMania 38 will be live on April 2nd and April 3rd. Saturday and Sunday. That whole weekend that is, is going to be done for WrestleMania weekend. Of course, we now know that breaking news broke on Twitter last night. That the Charlotte Flair-Ronda Rousey match with the SmackDown World Championship will be WrestleMania Night 1 there. And maybe, I think I'm going to assume this, that the Becky Lynch-Bianca Belair match for the Raw Women's Championship will be WrestleMania Night 2, as long as, uh, along with the Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, WWE, and WWE Universal Championship match. When it takes all, will be WrestleMania Night 2 as well. And we got to see, as we watch Raw and SmackDown throughout the next six weeks to see how WWE builds up WrestleMania. WrestleMania, I expect to be a good show this year. We we are going to be live in the AT&T Stadium, WrestleMania 38, as opposed to what happened six years ago, WrestleMania 32 where I think WrestleMania broke the all-time sports tennis record with the 101,000 fans in the AT&T Stadium that night. And I'm pretty sure it may be breaking that record again for WrestleMania's night one and night two in Dallas, Texas. So everybody aware, save the date, WrestleMania's 38, Saturday, April 2nd, Sunday, April 3rd. It's going to be a spectacle two-night event there. And it's going to be amazing. It really is. Thank you guys for joining me on my bonus episode on podcast, and I will try to have another one. And I hope you guys have a good day. It's snowing here in the new in New England, but hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day and just be safe.